those rereading Dr. King's works, something that impressed me was from his last speech the night before he was assassinated, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, he wrote, like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go to the mountain, and I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. I may not get there with you. It sounds like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. knew he was going to die soon. A premonition, a dream, a vision. It's said that he told one of his colleagues that week that he had had that same, that very dream, that he knew. What would you do if you knew that you had just a very little amount of time left to live? How would your life be different? You know, I am, uh, I am honored. I was honored last year on this same Sunday to preach on Martin Luther King Day weekend. I was honored. I do not deserve such an honor with my background. But I am honored. I am always honored to preach from this pulpit. I give honor to our pastor. Bless you, Dr. Pickett. Our pastoral staff. I count it an honor every time I walk through those doors to be a part of this congregation. And I want to thank you. What would you do if you knew you just had a short time to live? How would your life be different? Of course, we don't know. Doctors surely don't know. I had a doctor one time. Uh, he, he saw me out in the hallway of the hospital. He was coming out of the room of, of a patient. I was heading in. He could tell. He could see my hospital badge. He knew I was a cha- I was the chaplain. I was a pastor. And uh, he said, are you his pastor? I said, yes. And he said, well, I just told him that he has six months to live. I said, oh, dear. He goes, yeah. Well, he says, I lied. He said, he actually, he didn't have six weeks to live, but I told him six months. And I said, really? And he said, yes. He said, that's not my job. He goes, that's your job. Now you, you go in there and tell him the truth. Well, he didn't, he didn't live six months. He didn't live six weeks. He didn't live until the next day. Doctors don't know. They don't know. I, I had a lady in one of my churches, and, uh, and, and she relished in organ recitals. Whenever a relative of hers would be gravely ill, and when I say relative, I mean her cousin's, uh, her, her cousin's husband's niece's neighbor, she would be right there. You're going to die? She would be right there. And she would be there every day. 
She had nothing else to do, but she would be there every day so she could come back to church every Sunday and give us an organ recital. You know, oh, her heart's almost gone, her liver's not working right, her kidneys are fa- it's, I We called it the organ recital. And, and then when, when that person finally passed on, she would go looking for someone else. I called it, I called it, I, said, I always said, oh, she's on death watch again. She put hospice to shame what she could do. She was just like drawn to this, and she was consumed with it. Yeah, and she loved those organ recitals. I give my students in, in, in uh, their first year speech class, freshman speech, I give them an assignment that's kind of interesting. What three words would you like people to say about you at your funeral? And they have to give us, they have to speak about that. What three words would you like people to say about you at your funeral? It's devised to get them thinking about eternity, to get them thinking about serious things, to get them thinking about what kind of legacy do they want to, to leave? What do they want to be known for? Now, a, a lot of them take it very seriously. A lot of them t- say in, in, in their speech that, that they, they had never thought about this before. Well, that's the idea. A lot of them call home to mom or dad, or they talk to their brothers or sisters, and they say, what, what, what would you say about me if, if I were to die? what would I be known for and remembered for? And, and, and their families can usually help them out. Now, a few of them take it not so seriously. The best one I ever heard, three words I would like said about me at my funeral. Look, he's moving. As the best one ever. (laughs) Think about it. (laughs) But what kind of legacy do we want to leave? Dr. King has left us a legacy. What kind of legacy are we going to leave? There's a passage of scripture. I believe can be a help to us. It's Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 17. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Other translations, understand what the Lord's will is for you. And in this passage, the Apostle Paul presents some very important lessons I want to consider just in the next few minutes together. The first one is this. Our time on earth is limited. It's limited. And we don't even know how much time we have left. Psalm 39 verse 4 says, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. Our time is short on this earth. 
And again, Psalm 90, verse 10, 70 years are given to us. Some even live to 80, but soon they disappear and we fly away. Now, I realize for a lot of younger folk, 70, 80 years, that just that seems like an eternity. <laughs> you know? I remember, I remember, I used to think that 40 was ancient. You're over 40. Why are you still here? I used to think that. I don't think that anymore. I look at those 40-year-olds. It's like, you youngsters. Oh, you, can't, you got so much to learn. It's all relative, isn't it? For example, as teenagers in love talking together in a car, one hour, two hours, it just, it just flies by like an instant. But yet for their parents, those two hours in the car, they're, they're wondering, what are they doing in that car for two hours, right? Right? It's, it's all relative. You know, in fact, we can't even count on tomorrow, can we? We don't know. We don't know whether tomorrow may come or not for us. All we have is right now. So our time on earth is very valuable because it's, it's limited. Sometime in the future... People are going to gather around your casket and my casket, and they're going to talk about us. And we hope that they will say good things, but the way we get them to say those good things is how we live. Which brings us to our second point. Make the most of every opportunity. Every opportunity. Paul said in Ephesians 5, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Make the most of every opportunity because these days are evil. You know, at a time when we look around and, and divisiveness is rampant, race relations are abysmal in this country right now. A large section of the American church seems to have lost its moral courage and its moral compass. It behooves us to stand on the word of God and to live an example of holiness and to be that salt and light to a dying and decaying world. That's what we are called to do. I wondered, I wondered this week as I read that letter to the white pastors from the Birmingham jail. I wondered if he were here right now in this country, in today's world, reading the headlines and seeing what's going on within the church I've got a funny feeling that that letter he wrote 50-some years ago, I've got a funny feeling that if he were to write a letter to the pastors today, 
that that letter he wrote 50-some years ago would have seemed like an invitation to a tea party. Can you imagine? I don't think that even he ever imagined. It's hard for me to imagine. But yet we are here. We are seeing it. Make the most of every opportunity. Jesus said that Satan is a robber and a thief. One of the things that he tries to rob from us is our time. He tries to keep us from making the most of every opportunity, making the most of every single day. I was honored that that young lady this week felt comfortable in coming to me and knowing that I could help her in this task that she had. That, that humbled me. I am glad that that's what I was known for. That here is someone who can help out with this. Think of the time we waste. Oh, I know, now the big thing is to talk about all the time we waste on social media. And ha- has, your phone, has your iPhone done what my iPhone has done? Uh, because now every single day it tells me how much screen time I've used or every week it you know, and sends you this little notification. Well, if it doesn't, you can tell it to do that. If you want to know, I mean, it's, it's pretty distressing to actually look at that. But, but, but I like to remind myself, you know, I'm doing important things on there. I'm Googling things I need to know. I keep trying to tell myself that. I'm Googling things I need to know so I can do my job better and I can serve people better. I just keep telling myself that, and it keeps coming back every single week. Your screen time went up. Look how many hours you spent on the screen. It just keeps doing that. I've got an iPad also, and it does the same thing. So I think, well, you know, I won't use my phone so much, but I'll use my iPad. But no, I think they're in cahoots. I think they got this thing going on here, you know. But think how much time that we spend, that we waste, not only on social media, but think about our lives. Think about how much time we have wasted in bars and gambling casinos, you know. I look back on the things that I did Oh, my. I look back on those things, and I think, oh, how much time, how much time, how many years I wasted on things like that. Think how much time we've wasted in gossiping and rumors and believing things without checking them out. And yet we spend time talking about them and passing them on. Richard Swenson, a medical doctor, wrote a book in which he discusses one of the major maladies of our time, anxiety and stress. And he says the problem is called overload. As a people, we are just overloaded. We're overloaded with commitments. We make so many commitments. We commit ourselves on top of ourselves. And that causes anxiety and stress. Our possessions, we've just got to have that. And I am as guilty as anybody. I love things. I, I, I will admit it. I just, I like them. 
I have got new things and toys. I can close, I can open and close my my garage door. Right now, I can do it. Right now, I can do that. I can turn my lights on right now, you know, uh, from up here, you know, there, there, there's my phone. The phone does it all, you know. All these gadgets, every, possessions. And you know what? Then we worry about people are going to steal our possessions. But it's okay because for Christmas... I got a doorbell camera. I've got a ring camera right there. Right. So when you, if you walk up to my front door, I'm notified, no matter when it is, and it pops up on my phone and it shows me who's at my front door, trying to get in, and steal my stuff. Right. Possessions. We are on overload with possessions. Work, we're on overload with work. Do you realize that back in the 60s, it was predicted that by tw- uh, the year 2000, that was 20 years ago, by the Y2K is 20 years ago. Can you imagine that? By the year 2000, we would only have to work 25 hours a week and only have to work about 30 weeks a year. Because of all the robotics and all the gadgets and everything that we had, we would have, and, they, and this article was, what are we going to do with all of our leisure time? Yeah. And that was the concern in the 60s for those people who would be alive in the 2000s. Friends, it didn't happen. Instead, we are working more hours now than we ever did. And more weeks now than we ever did. And then we're overloaded on information. So much so that, that, that we can't, we, we, at our fingertips, we've got anything we want to know. And, and I think it's a wonderful time to be alive. I think it's great to be able to do that. Think of what technology has given us. But at the same time, it's an overload. We've got so much information coming in, we don't know what to pay attention to, and we can't pay attention to all of it. Amen. Satan has found a way to rob us of, those t- of time and our life. What are we to do? Well, the third, the last point, understand what the Lord's will is. That's it. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. So what does the Lord want us to do? Let me give you just a few things in closing. First, establish your priorities. It's still the beginning of the year, so let's, let's, let's take a hard look. What are our priorities, say, for this next year? Now, I'm assuming you're in church this morning because you believe God should be a part of your life. I think that's obviously a priority, right? So schedule time for God, obviously. But also schedule time for family. Family is very important to me. Probably one of the biggest things that I was, as a senior pastor for 31 years, that people complained to me about was that I put my family 
first. Because I said by putting my family first, that's my responsibility. I am putting God first. And they did not want me to put my family before the church. But I said no because I'd known too many pastors who'd lost their children along the way. And I said I'm not going to let that happen. I believe we should schedule time for God, we should schedule time for our family, and we should take our work seriously. But we've got to keep those things in the right order. We've got to prioritize. Another thing, learn to live today. Because this is all you've got. This is all you've got. The two great enemies of time are regrets for things we did in the past and anxiety about what will happen in the future. Friends, you can't change anything in the past. Oh, how I would change so much of my life if I could, but I can't. And neither can you. So stop with the regrets. Stop focusing on them. Say, this year I have confessed my sins. I'm moving on. And then what about the future? You don't even know if you're going to have a future on this earth. So why are you worried about it? You don't even know if you're going to be here a month from now. So don't stress over it. Focus on today. This is what you've got. This is what God is guaranteeing you. You've got now. Romans 13, 11 to 12. This is all the more urgent for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. That's it. You know, Dr. King lived a life that mattered, made a difference. Now, you may not win the Nobel Peace Prize, but you can bring peace. By reaching across all the lines that have been drawn in our society. Reaching across. Building bridges instead of walls. You can be the voice of reason on social media. You can encourage dialogue instead of debating and conversation instead of confrontation and respect instead of rebuke. You can do that. You see, we can get along. We can love one another. We can make it to the promised land together. Why? Because our Lord Jesus paved the way. He paved the way. Not just for you, not just for me, for us all. He paved the way. If you want to leave an honorable legacy then it has to start with getting your priorities straight. And the first priority is get right with God.